Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoy it. But first, I want to ask you a question. Are you someone who has high upside potential in your business and yet sometimes that goal is just hard to get to and maybe the only way you've seen to get to it is just to make more calls, you know, work harder? Well, if you're fed up with using old strategies to solve new problems, then I might have a solution. It's my five-day million-dollar seller challenge. We meet one hour a day in a coaching intensive where I will teach you five moves that you can make to scale your results without working harder. To learn more, click the link in the show notes or go to milliondollarsellerchallenge.com. Hey, Bill Kasky back at the Bill Kasky Podcast. Glad you're joining me today. I have a kind of a special topic today that I've been working on and thinking about for a while. And a couple of things have happened over the last two weeks. One, I did a webinar that some of you might have been on called The New Game of Selling. And it was positioned as, you know, we've had the old game and then we've had a lot of shifts in the market and in technology. And now we have to play this new game. And part of that was, what are some structures that get in our way? I call them power structures. These are the hierarchical power structures that exist in a culture. I don't want to get too uh, deep in this, but, you know, it's like the person who has the power has the control. So in an organization, uh, the person, the CEO, the entrepreneur, the founder, or the person who's in charge has the power. So if you go in to ask for a raise, they may say yes, they may say no. This is a terrible example, but, but they have the power to decide. Those are very formal structures, but what about informal structures, like maybe in a family or maybe with some of your friends, you get together and you kind of see the power structure start to work itself out. Usually it's one or two people who kind of want to take control, and so they become the assumed power centers of the organization, uh, even though it's an informal organization. But I think where it really uh, affects us is in the sales process. And I think there is this informal power structure, social structure about who's in control of the sales process. And the prospect thinks they are in control because it's been set up that way since the beginning of time. Sales professionals have been the ones who are out trying to make the sale, get the appointment. They're the pursuers and the prospect is the pursuee, if that's a word. And so when you have that, there's a power structure that exists and until you shift it, it will be, it will be consistent. It'll sustain itself, which is prospect has the money. So they're in control. And I just don't think that's true. I think the money is a secondary issue to the value of the problem that you're going to solve for them. The second thing that happened is I was out in uh, LA for a training and uh, working with a group out there. And I know we've got some people who listen to the podcast. I'm not going to share their name because they prefer not uh, to, to remain anonymous, but it's a large publicly held organization that uh, we do some work with the LA branch. And this topic came up, the topic of, well, who's in control of the buyer-seller dance? And we'd like to be, but a lot of times that's just not the way it's set up. So I came up with a handful. I'm not going to share all eight that I shared with them because that would take probably too long, but I want to share three or four of these elements of the power structure and what you can do to change it. Because to me, if you're going to scale your business, and we talk about that a lot in our programs, the High Achiever program and, and some of the other things we do, if you're going to scale the, the business, 
then you need to be in control of the process, not of the people in the process, but the process itself. So here are the elements of a structure that I think will be better for you in the buyer-seller dance, okay? Number one, one in which the solution to their problems is perceived by them as more valuable than their money. So they're going to trade money. Uh, Buyers trade their money for something that they believe will be better than their money or the solution to their problem. If you're buying a car, you're trading $70,000 in and you're getting a car back and you say that's a good deal because even though it's a lot of money, it's a lot of solution. (laughs) It's a lot of value that I'm going to be receiving. So if if you always think of the buyer-seller dance as a as a exercise and exchange of value, money and solution, then I think you can rest control of the process easier. Even in your own mind, you can say, look, I'm only going to sell you this if it brings value to you in excess of the money that you're going to spend to get it. I mean, that's a pretty straightforward thing. I think you can say that in in your sales calls. Why not? Number two, one in which the process of getting to the solution is controlled by you and agreed to by them. So you have a process, a sales process, let's say, and you also have a delivery process. Those are the two processes that are set up to help them get to their new reality or to get to the solution. But I prefer even to think of it as they are at point A and and they want to get to point B and you are the guide that helps them get from point A to point B. Point A to point B is two things. It's the sales process that helps you all understand what is the situation, what are the circumstances, and it's a delivery process of your value. So point A to point B is both. So you've got to understand clearly what those two processes are. You've also got to be able to communicate that to your prospect. If you don't, they will not know where to go. And when people don't know where to go, they go backwards. They will opt out of the process. Number three and this is an important element, and I don't think we talk nearly enough about this, although we do a little bit on the podcast, one in which your ethos, reputation, or brand precedes you. You lead thought in the industry in some small way. You are in demand. And if you want to change the power structure, then you've got to be in demand. They have to be wanting you worse than you're wanting them. As I said uh, a few weeks ago in one of the webinars I did, you know, the, the optimum sales process is where you create the environment where they want what you have worse than you want what they have. Well, if you don't have any kind of a brand reputation coming into it, either through referral or through video or through something online or something, you're just seen as yet another salesperson. And when you're just seen as yet another salesperson, guess who has the power? Not you. They do. So the process of, so the ethos or reputation or brand has to precede you. And it doesn't have to be way out ahead of you. So let's say somebody sees something that you do and they call you or you call on them and they say, yeah, I've heard about you. Come on in. Maybe you send them a video prior to that first meeting, which enhances your posture, your positioning, which tears down the traditional power structure of them being in control. The idea with power structure is not to control them. It's to have an equal amount of control and empowerment in the process and not not lopsided for one person. Here's the last one. Number four is it's one in which there is extreme 
trust between the prospect and you. And I know that we all believe that A, we are trustworthy people, and you probably are, and B, we all believe that everybody trusts us. Well, I've got some news for you that in the sales profession, there ain't a lot of trust going around. Even if you are trustworthy, there's not a lot of trust. And so, uh, I, I don't know, it's one of the professions along with legal and the media where it's just not, it's just not trusted and brands aren't even trusted today. And it's because they're constantly in pitch mode. So if you're constantly in pitch mode, why would they trust you to understand their problems? They wouldn't. You've got to get out of pitch mode, gang. It's not helpful. It's creating uh, the, the wrong environment, and it's actually forcing people away. So how do you create extreme trust between you and your prospect? Want nothing. Expect nothing. Want nothing. Be unbiased with your solution. Be willing to say, look, we do these seven things really, really well. We do these two or three things pretty average, and we do this one thing. We're really bad at it. But fortunately, the one thing that we're really bad at isn't a huge thing, but we are just not good at that. So if you're looking for somebody who does number 10 really well, we're probably not your guys, but we do these seven things extraordinarily well. That kind of conversation creates trust because they say, well, this person is willing to show their flaws and their warts along with all the value and the benefit that they can bring. So want nothing, detach, sincerely detach and watch what happens in your sales process. A lot of things change. Hope that helps you. We may talk about some of these others. I got four more that are really good, but I save those for, uh, I'll save those for another time. If you have any interest at all in being a part of one of my startup groups, the High Achiever Mentoring Program, which is for people earning $150,000 uh, or more a year who have a tremendous amount of upside potential. This is not for newbie salespeople. This is for seasoned vets who really want to scale their income without uh, burning the candle at both ends and burning out doing it. You can go to BillCaskey.com, find out more there. I'd be happy to book a call and we can talk more about it to see if it fits you. It starts in uh, August, August 15th-ish, something like that. So we got a few, a couple weeks before it begins. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I will see you next time. Bye.